I would invite you this morning, take your Bibles and turn yet again to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And I would invite you also this morning to join me for the ninth and final time of reading together Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, if you would join me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. My hope in doing that is that those nine characteristics will be somewhat emblazoned on our heart. As I got to working on this particular characteristic, the last one, self-control, I realized that just about every example I can think of regarding self-control typically emphasizes self. Uh, you know, you think about uh, there are, you know, I, people talk about pulling themselves up or people about talk about having the self-control to, to go on such and such a diet or the self-control to do this. And it's always about the self. I did it. I had the self-control. Recently, a friend recounted a journey, a journey to better health by losing weight. This particular friend that we've known for a long time, uh, a little bit over 70 years old, knew that journey of losing weight for this particular individual was not just a vanity thing. It was a health thing. Their health was suffering. And the discipline and the self-control it took for this friend to lose weight got actually down to their high school weight. The it, the discipline and the self-control need to be celebrated. How exciting for them. The discipline and the self-control it's going to take to maintain that weight is going to be tough. And yet we walk a fine line, a fine line between exercising self-control and being proud of our self-control. Our friend, we know him quite well, our friend realizes, and, and actually they have stated repeatedly how grateful they were for a supportive spouse and for supportive children and even some supportive grandchildren who encouraged along the way. Yeah, they had to make the decisions, but there were people on the team, as it were, there were medical professionals. There were dietitians. This journey didn't happen all on their own. And it would be the height of arrogance for our friend to go, I did this. I did this. And to ignore all those other people that were part of the team. When we emphasize the self part of self-control, we step outside of the boundaries that God wants us to discover regarding this element of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember at the very beginning of this study of these nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, remember I had my big old orange, this big uh, navel orange, and I talked about all the different elements and all the ways you could use an orange. 
And it was just a reminder that this is a fruit singular with many aspects. And that fruit is the product of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. What we're talking about, what we've been talking about for the past almost a little over two months is the Spirit working in us, indwelling us. This is His work. We're not passive in the work. We have to cooperate with the Spirit. We're going to see next week, as we have the final sermon in the whole series, what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. But the transformation that takes place when we develop and emphasize these nine characteristics and allow them to be part of our lives, the the transformation that takes place is the work of God. He he helps grow us as we're pliable to his will. As we humble ourselves and accept his changing work in our lives, as we actively follow the example of Jesus. This final aspect of the nine characteristics of the product of the Spirit is the one that's aimed at us more than any of the other eight. It's aimed at our actions. It's aimed at our relationship with God the Father through Christ. I think it's the one element that encompasses the complete opposite of what we saw of the works of the flesh, that indulgence. I mean, consider, in 5.13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. To not use my freedom to indulge the flesh is an example of spirit-empowered self-control. Look at verses 14 and 15, since you're there in Galatians 5. Love your neighbor as yourself, Paul says. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. When I love my neighbor as myself, which is contrasted with biting and devouring one another, when I love my neighbor as myself, that comes, the implication there is that I do that because I am living under spirit-empowered self-control. Verse 16, but if you, uh, verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Spirit-empowered self-control, walk by the spirit. I won't go through them all, but 19 to 21 is a list of all of those, of a variety of acts of the flesh that are enumerated, and, and, it, and those are all kind of what it takes to, to self-indulge, to gratify the self, to put me first, to not think of anyone else. And the only way to combat that is to develop the fruit of the Spirit because the exact opposite of self-indulgence is Spirit-empowered self-control. I hope you've noticed something. I've added a a little bit of definition. Spirit-empowered self-control. I'm choosing to state it that way because, at least for me, and maybe hopefully for you, I want it to be abundantly clear that I want to emphasize the spirit part of self-control and not the self part of self-control. The word translated self-control is only used a handful of times in the New Testament. 
but in the ancient world into which Paul was writing, it was a very important concept. It was considered a virtue. It was considered a virtue in that one did not, that one who showed self-restraint or self-control was actually one who had greater freedom. It seems like an oxymoron, self-control, but within that is such great freedom. And it's a term that reflects the mastery of the individual over desires and passions. It's, even though the word is rarely used, there's a concept of this idea of mastering who I am and letting God master who I am that literally flows throughout Scripture. So I want to give you four characteristics this morning of self-control, or let's put it our way, spirit-empowered self-control. And the first one is this, and it's kind of a duh, but it's still important. Spirit-empowered self-control is based on faith in God. I am not going to allow the Holy Spirit to control me if I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I am not going to conduct myself in a way that reflects self-control if I believe I have to control my life. I have to make everything work. I can only exercise spirit-empowered self-control when I trust in the God who says he is in control. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What a great passage. You know, one of the things we're doing in our Wednesday night study is reminding one another not to skip over the familiar passages. I love Scripture memory, and yet every positive has a downside. We can get so familiar with something and we say it rotely that we don't think about what we're saying. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. And all your ways, not him, make your ways straight. Boom, check it off, got it done. What are you really saying? Paul, the, the writer here, Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's a complete and total trust. Actually, that idea of trusting the Lord with all your own understanding and, and all your own heart and leaning not on your own understanding, it's, it's, a, it's a vulnerability. I did something very dangerous one year when I was teaching teenagers through this, back when I was a youth pastor. I brought up on the platform wherever I was teaching the rowdiest kid in the group. And I said, I want you to stand there, and I'm going to illustrate what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I laid down on the stage in front of this individual, and I put my hands behind my back. And I said... I am completely vulnerable to you right now. Yeah, I was, yeah, I muttered it out. But I was completely vulnerable to that individual. That's what it means to trust. Spirit-empowered self-control says, God, I trust you completely with all of my life. So I don't lean on my own understanding. I submit myself to you, and I know you will make my path straight. Not perfect, but straight. You will guide me in the way I should go. That is an example of trust. Spirit-empowered self-control based on faith in God is a disciplined faith. I'm not going to have it up here, but Matthew 26.53 is very interesting. In Matthew 26.53, we're right at the point where Jesus is being arrested, and, and uh, Jesus says, I could have called 12 legions of angels 
But he didn't. Because he knew where he was going. He knew what was said. He had the spirit-empowered, as it were, self-control to say, I'm restraining myself from wiping all of you off the face of the earth because I came for the purpose of dying on the cross for your sins, and I will go through the trial that comes for you. Discipline. Spirit-empowered self-control is based on faith, and that's an act of faith. Consider this passage right behind me here, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. Peter says, For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at that list, there's some similarities to Paul's list. And when you look at that list, it's a process. We are to be in process of growing. The the late Dallas Willard would often say this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, it's not a matter of I prayed a prayer and I and I, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and now I get to go to heaven. By the way, you will never find a verse in the Bible anywhere, shape, or form that talks about when you get to go to heaven. When we come into faith in Christ, it's so that we can become a disciple and follow Jesus. It's not about escapism and going to heaven. It's about now I know Christ. Now I need to make some effort and I need to walk along with him and I need to be empowered by the Spirit because when the Spirit empowers me, then I have this self-control that allows me to say no to some things and yes to others and I can grow. The Spirit of self-control, Spirit-empowered self-control is based on faith in God. Secondly, spirit-empowered self-control understands the value of saying no. Someone very near and dear to me. I'm, this statement is not original with her, but she uses it a lot, and she says, no is a complete sentence, and it needs no explanation. Several years ago, we were with a a, a friend. Uh, Her husband had been a pastor for many years. He was now widowed. We were in conversation, and she said this to, to to Charlene and I. She said, if God's not calling you to do something, you need to say no. When you say no, you may feel guilty for a couple of hours. But it's better than saying yes and being angry for six weeks because you, you did something you weren't supposed to, God wasn't calling you to do, but yeah, I'll do it. And there, you know, but we have to know what we're saying no to. When I was a kid going, growing up in Awana, I learned Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The words are right here behind me. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness 
and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be people who have the Spirit-empowered self-control to learn when to say no, and especially say no to ungodliness. No is a complete sentence. It needs no explanation. And when you say no to something, you say yes to something else. When you say no to ungodliness, you say yes to God. When you say no to something in your life that's going to distract you from following Christ, you say yes to following Christ and being a disciple. So we need to know that every no is a yes to something, just as every yes is a no to something. And we need spirit-empowered self-control to be able to discern the difference. We need to learn to say no sometimes to something that feels really good so that we can say yes to something that is God's best. I had breakfast with an individual many years ago. This particular individual headed up a local children's church ministry, and it was thriving. And there were staff members that, volunteers that had been volunteers for a long time. You know, Brian talked about staff members that come back. I'm going to tell you, when you have volunteers or staff members that keep coming back, you just build on that. And they had volunteers that just were there for a long time, week in and week out. Children were memorizing Scripture. When you memorize so much Scripture, you got, and actually at the church there, you, you, you earned a Bible. And that Bible got presented to those children in front of the entire congregation so that the community celebrated them. This individual was, was entrenched working in the community and just serving in the local church. And another ministry heard about this, what was going on, and reached out and said, we would love you to sell everything, quit your job, and come out here and work in this ministry where you would be an itinerant minister around different churches and kind of help them. And so this individual said, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, you know what? You've got a decision to make. And here's the decision. What's God's best for you in this time? I said, I'll tell you from a pastor's perspective, every pastor would love to have a dozen people like you who are involved in the community, kids in soccer and sports and all, and you're working in the community, but then you're also heavily involved in the local church and you're, you're living out your faith in the community and you're exercising the local church, you're knowledgeable, you're training. You've got a great opportunity here. And the longer you do it here, you're going to see the fruit of your efforts and you're going you're to see those kids grow up and, and maybe come around and be staff members with you and you're going to see that and, and that's great. But if you go to the other place, you're going to still be involved. But you're going to bounce from place to place and you may not readily see the fruit. You, you may feel like you're wondering what you're doing, but I'm going to tell you this. It's up to you, and I will celebrate you and support you, whatever you choose to do. But simply ask God, what's the best? Because both are good, but what's the best? That individual 
and his wife are still running that children's ministry in that church today. And that conversation took place some 30 years ago. He chose the best because when you say no to one thing, you say yes to another. In his heart, he chose the best. You and I need to learn when to say no when something looks good and when to say yes when to that which is best. And we can't do that in our own power. We need spirit-empowered self-control to know when to say no and when to say yes. Here's a third thing about spirit-empowered self-control. Spirit-empowered self-control responds rather than reacts. Let me say that again. Spirit-empowered self-control responds rather than reacts. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am preaching to the preacher. I tend to be a reactor. And I have all my life, and I continue to work on what it means to be a responder. And nowhere do I think this idea is more relevant and more evident than in our speech. You see, it requires spirit-empowered self-control to listen and to respond instead of to react. With that regard, let me just kind of come back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20 and look at some of the things that are in the acts of the flesh. Paul talks about, he says, the acts of the flesh, and he goes through a bunch of things, but he says some of the acts of the flesh are discord, fits of rage, dissensions. Those are examples of reacting in our speech. You sow discord largely with your speech. Fits of rage often get expressed through our speech. Dissension is usually expressed through speech. We're to be different. And like I said, woven throughout Scripture is this idea of self-control, even when it's not used. And woven throughout Scripture is, how, is the importance of how we use our words as responders as opposed to reactors. Consider a verse that I have emblazoned in my mind because I have been the one who has wielded the sword of Reckless words, Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like a sword. Can I remind you that you can really never take your words back? Words are permanent. And you might apologize and you might say, I didn't mean it, but it stuck. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words are reactionary words. Reckless words are words that are not under the, the spirit-empowered self-control that we're to be. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think of that person in your life who in the right moment walked up to you and uttered a word of encouragement came up to you at, the, at just a moment when you needed and uttered a word of blessing. And you think about the healing that brought to your soul. You know, I once taught a class of adults. We were teaching about encouragement, and I asked everybody in that class to share a time when someone said something that devastated them. And it was amazing as those people shared because they were remembering in vivid color when they had been devastated. 
And interestingly enough, I'll tell you, most of those instances happened when they were 13, 14 years old. But then I said, okay, let's flip the script. Let's talk about a time when someone encouraged you. And they could vividly remember when someone came along and spoke a word of healing, a word of encouragement. And when they talked about that, for some of them, there was, there was definite emotion. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 tells us about the power of responding in the right way. A gentle answer turns away wrath. See, the, 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 when, when we are empowered by the Spirit and have that Spirit-empowered self-control and there's anger, we have the self-control because of the empowerment of the Spirit to kind of back off. Otherwise, if we're not, we can fuel the anger. Oh, yeah? Well, you did this. Oh, yeah? Well, you did that. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I know you're upset. Can we talk about it? Can we have a conversation? Can we have a cool-down period? But a harsh word stirs up anger. Spirit-empowered self-control responds. It doesn't react. We've turned several times to Ephesians 4 in this study. It seems interesting how the more I've done this study, the more I've seen different passages that seem to be parallels. And Ephesians 4, we looked at the early part of, the, of the, the chapter a couple of times, but that ends with a very important reminder. Ephesians 4.29 gives us an important reminder about being responders and not reactors. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome word come out, talk come out of your mouths. Just stop right there and think about it. You know, they, they, they say that men have... 10 to 15,000 words a day to use and women have more. I think in our household that's reversed. I have a lot of words. I have to be careful about the words I use. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. A responder says, how can I respond in such a way that those around me are benefited, that those around me are built up, that those around me are encouraged? A reactor says, I'm going to say what's on my mind, and you just better take it. Spirit-empowered, self-control, responds, it doesn't react. A spirit-empowered self-control is experienced when we grow in learning that. And sometimes it's not just angry words. Sometimes it's just plain insensitive words. But we can't do this on our own. You can't wake up tomorrow morning and go, that does it. I am going to be a responder, not a reactor. You will drop the ball sooner than you think. You walk up and say, God, I am submitting myself to you. I want the Spirit to empower me. Help me to grow in the area of responding. There's one other. Spirit-empowered self-control takes into account consequences. If you look again at the acts of the flesh in this passage, it reads as a list in which consequences are not taken into account. Do you remember the mantra a few years ago? YOLO? 
Remember that one? You only live once? YOLO! I, I, I watched a video with a bunch of high school students doing something. They're all going, YOLO! You only live once. The idea behind that was you better go for all you can. You better take all the risks you can because you only live once. You know, my niece posted a thing yesterday. Yesterday was bridge day at the New River Gorge Bridge in West Virginia, just outside of Beckley where I was born. And uh, bridge day, they had 60,000 people on the bridge. They'd shut the road down, and there were at least 22 people that jumped off the bridge and then pulled a parachute. And then they had a, 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 a catapult where some people got shot out of the catapult, and they're just going down, and then they pulled their parachute. And then they had a scissor lift because if 868 feet is not high enough, they went up 50 more and they would jump off the edge of the scissor lift. YOLO. I say YOLO crazy-o. You know? well, yeah, and it's interesting, one year when I did a whitewater rafting trip, I watched somebody jump off that bridge illegally. This was all legal. It was, it was a day for it. Who does that? But they do that. YOLO, you only live once. The idea of YOLO is kind of a self-indulgent, take all risks, don't hold anything back. But self-indulgence only has the self in mind. I ran across something that just blew my mind. I love reading, not that I am in any way ever going to be a brain expert, but I love reading about brain research. It's amazing. And, and now for me, I need things broken down in very simple terms. But when you see things that are being discovered about how our brain works, I'm amazed at the work of God. A few years ago, a unique discovery was made. Now, you can, you can participate. The, the, I was reading this article. They said, take your finger. And I'm one of these guys, if they say do it, I'll do it. Take your finger and press it right here where you're... You're, you're right above your ear there, and then you go up one inch on your right side, and you go back one inch on your right side, and that's the temporal parietal lobe on the right side. And in brain research, they've discovered that the temporal parietal, and I practice saying that, so I have to say it a few times, the temporal parietal junction has long been linked with empathy. So that when they do these brain scans and, and the person is feeling empathy, they see it firing right about in here in your brain. But lately they've discovered something else. That's also the area in the brain where when we show self-control, it fires in the same way. How cool is that? Empathy depends on one's ability to overcome their own perspective and to appreciate someone else's. How can we do that? I did it myself. No, we know that we need spirit-empowered self-control to show empathy, to put someone else's needs first and mine second. Spirit-empowered self-control helps me love my neighbor as myself. Spirit-empowered self-control helps me to see beyond the moment and see the long view. We've already seen it, haven't we? Reckless words pierce like a sword. Consequences. A harsh word stirs up anger. Consequences. We need to look beyond 
our, our reaction to what are the consequences. You just have to turn the page to Galatians chapter 6 to get an application. Paul says in verses 6 and 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Consequences. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Consequences. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That is a description of spirit-empowered self-control. Thinking about what I do, thinking about the results, thinking about how I can do good to others. Let me just leave you with one final note, because we have this line that tends for us to be a throwaway line. It's the very end of verse uh, 23. Against such things there's no law. Now, if you're memorizing the fruit of the Spirit and you get there, you just kind of rattle that one off. Against such things, there's no law. That's very important. It's important because the struggle with the Galatians, the reason Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians was they were being drawn into and enticed to a strict adherence of the Old Testament law that had already been fulfilled by Jesus. And the purpose of the letter was to say, you have freedom in Christ. You have freedom to follow Christ because he fulfilled the law. You don't have to go back and fulfill the law. It's been done. You have freedom to follow him. And the simple point here is when one makes his or her focus the continual development of the product, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, they are actually fulfilling the law. The fruit of the Spirit, these aspects are, are not bound by the law. They are the expression of what the law wanted us to do. What did it want us to do? Love our neighbor as ourself. These particular elements are not specifically mentioned in the law because they fulfill all the law, since that's the essence of the law. What does it look like to love my neighbors myself? Well, it kind of looks like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Spirit-empowered self-control. We're all accountable for our actions. We're all responsible for the consequences of our actions. If not in this life, in the next, God is aware. And as we grow in dependency upon the Spirit, we will grow in learning to live in the present with an understanding and an awareness of what the future holds. Spirit-empowered self-control is based on faith in God. It understands the value of saying no. It responds rather than reacts, and it takes into account the consequences. As you think about this week, what spirit-empowered self-control looks like in your life, 
Consider that next week, by God's grace, we're going to talk about what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit. And we're going to find the two go hand in hand. But for today, bear in mind that God calls all of us to submit to Him and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we experience Spirit-empowered self-control. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the challenges of your word. Thank you for those times where you show us where we need to change so that we can be transformed to you. Lord, empower us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.